Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, June 29th, we're studying Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. In today's text, the angel shows John the river of the water of life and the tree of life that are in the New Jerusalem, the place where the Lord God will be the light for his people forever. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as the content executive for the Lutheran youth organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks so much. Great to be here. So we get started today, Pastor Goodman. I know we are at the end of the book of Revelation, but we've been talking about this every time we have a new guest. Talk to us about the right way for Christians to approach the book of Revelation. How do we see it so that it's a helpful book to us? Read it as boringly as possible. Um, this is uh, this is this is essentially a, a letter to churches, um, and, and there are some prophetic visions. There's some pretty wild stuff here, especially towards the end. Uh, but when you sort of limit this to recognize that that John is is writing uh, to Christians who are living in their day and age about the Christian life, uh, then what we have is, is uh, in some cases, a very poetic and a very beautiful uh, account of what it is, this precious gospel of ours. But when we sort of cherry pick at sort of the, the more uh, extreme vision texts, uh, we end up looking for uh, things that, that are usually not Christ crucified. And that puts, us, uh, that, that puts us in a weird spot because it leaves the gospel very far out of reach. Uh, we, we have uh, this, this thing that the devil would do where he would try and take from us the word of God. And one of the things that he will use to do that is, is time. Um, he will leave uh, these, these verses of, of John's uh, vision uh, so far out of reach because they are someday that the very best we might actually be able to receive from them is, is little like hints about when it might be coming and hope would ever remain out of reach. Uh, and, and it's just as, as evil and awful as when we, uh, when we pigeonhole Jesus to, to back in Jerusalem so that the only people who ever actually got to see him were the ones who went to visit the manger, even though we get the better feeding trough in church every Sunday at communion. We, we have a gospel that is preached for all time and all people. And so when you read Revelation, you get to recognize this is not a, a someday text, but it was a back then text, and it is a right now text, and it will be a last day text, but it's it's all of them. So talk to us about the context that we should understand for this chapter. This is the last chapter of the Bible, so what do we need to know to understand these verses? Last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and so this is the, the page you turn to if you just want to see how it all uh, ends. Um, <laughs> and in doing that, uh, the thing to remember is that this is the same gospel, that uh, this is about Christ who was crucified for your sins and is risen from the grave, that in your baptism you are united to his death and resurrection, and here you find your salvation. Um, as we start to close down the book of Revelation, because we are dealing with uh, so many of these these profound visions uh, um, that that John has, I, I really truly believe that he uses uh, this last chapter to remind us that these things are not far off. Uh, we 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 got some some visions of of you know the final defeat of of, of Satan, the, the enemy, in the chapters before. We we got some uh, pictures of of the resurrection. Uh, but right now we're going to get the, uh, the the tree of life. We're going to get the the um, the water of the the great river of God um, and flowing out of the the throne. 
alone. And what we get to find is that these are the things that are are not far away, but they're actually um, they're very they're very near in, in God's good gifts of, of word and sacrament. This is, I, I think, sort of the the point of of having this vision. That the danger of visions is that if you just read them by themselves, they can make the things seem very far away. Cause like I, I have yet to find a tree of life with, you know, uh, 12 different kinds of leaves that, that never rot. Um, but at the same time, uh, if we actually look to what this thing is, the gift of visions is they actually paint a clearer picture of the things that God does bring near to us that look very ordinary, uh, which is how you're supposed to read revelation. So when I look to my baptism, it doesn't look like much, but it is the river of life flowing from the throne of God. So to go back to your opening comment then, the right way to read the book of Revelation would be the boring way. When we keep it boring, it actually transforms what we would otherwise see as boring into extraordinary, beautiful gifts. Absolutely. Yeah, this is not to sort of um, diminish what's going on, but it's actually to to impress upon us just how, how important the good gifts that God gives to us actually are. And, and we can lose sight of them week after week, because we, we actually live in this, this glory and the sinners that we are, we turn our eyes from it into, well, idolatry. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, in the last chapter, when we talked about the, the glory of the new Jerusalem, we did talk about how this is the church, and not just the church as we will see her fully on the last day, but the church as she is right now. We don't always see it, but it is true by faith. So, as we think about the river of the water of life, the tree of life, we want to see these things as they are being brought near to us now, and not only as something that we will see on the last day. Absolutely. Um, we, we have a church right now that connects all times and all places to the cross, where Christ has conquered sin. And then, therefore, if, if we are a part of those who have conquered sin, we are those who have conquered death in his resurrection. We're already tied to the resurrection. We, we say that not just, you know, someday I might go to heaven if I'm good, but today I am a part of the resurrection. I wear currently the white robes of salvation. And if those things are true today, that means that I actually need to see inside of the ordinary things that happen, uh, all of the good gifts that God would give in there. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the text. This is Revelation chapter 22, beginning at the first verse. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be there anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's our text for today. That's Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. So we learned in the previous text that it, this angel is one of the seven who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues. He still remains with John. Now he shows him the river of the water of life. Talk to us about the river. Uh, this is the same river that has been uh, spoken about throughout the scriptures and, and you don't measure it by by geography by like if we could just find the, the place on the map if we could go back to genesis 2 10 where the river flowed out of eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers and we we think we can sort of pinpoint it and sneak back in even if there uh, weren't an angel with a fiery sword uh what we have though is is the locality of it flowing from the throne of god and of the lamb the the river of life comes from the lamb 
And then where we have a, a river of life, it's, it's just anywhere Jesus is. And so you can go to the Old Testament. The Psalms speak about this. There is a river in the 46th Psalm whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. This is a, a beautiful picture of the church, of where, where God would dwell with sinners to sustain us, to protect us, to guard us, and to save us. That when we, when we gather in church, uh, we, we gather where God dwells. And there we will not be moved. There we will find our help. Uh, we, we can continue uh, because we, we sort of need this picture. Uh, we, we always go looking for it in places that look more impressive than they actually are because you, you get to recognize Israel's sort of frustration and in, in, in sort of always seeking after other gods and, and after other idols was simply in the fact that when God saved them, more often than not, they got bored of it. It was, it, it's beautiful to get bored of God's salvation because that's actually what security feels like. I, you don't get bored when you're in danger. You, you get bored when you're actually so well taken care of that you don't have to worry anymore. Um, blessed be the bored. That's a fantastic place to be. It's just that old Adam, well, he, he figures that must mean it's broken. And so he needs to go and get himself into trouble again. Um, but but God in his mercy will continue to to make known his gifts even as he gives them. Uh, we, we can also talk about the water of life in John chapter 4, the the woman at the well who um, gets really frustrated with Jesus because it, it almost feels like he's taunting her. But he would say, whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him become will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman is like, well, just give me, give me some water so I can stop coming back to the well. Because every time I go out, people people point at me, they talk about me, they laugh at me, and they hate me. Because she is she is a Samaritan. She's not Jewish enough. She is divorced too many times, and the guy that she's living with right now is nothing but another cause for shame. All she wants to do is find an excuse to run away and hide. And God would actually make his, his presence known even to sinners in a place like this. So that even for a sinner like her, there can be a new identity. There, there can be a, a guarding, a keeping, a, a salvation that exists for her. And, and it's not found in escaping our problems, but in being brought into Jesus. Uh, so that when we finally start to, to deal with this, um, we get to go to where we find God today. Uh, we are born of water and the Spirit, so we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, we have a, a God who would place himself in, in a certain place so we can actually find him. It, it's, it's important because a God who is just everywhere is a God we can't find. It's it's something that that's not super helpful for us to talk about, and, and the formula of Concord actually speaks this way that it's it's not helpful to talk about God as if He is everywhere, and we're not denying the omnipresence of God that He can that He can be anywhere or work anywhere, but it's that He locates Himself in specific places, so wherever we happen to find ourselves, we know where to look for God. I know that God is at work in a tornado. I have no idea what He's doing there, and I don't like it. There's no comfort for me to be found. I know that God can work anywhere, but even in the Psalms where 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 uh, the, the psalmist would sort of speak about God being able to go anywhere. It's not just that he can go anywhere, it's that he will go anywhere for you. If I ascend to the heights of the mountains, you are there. If I descend to the very depths of Sheol, it's not whether or not God can climb a mountain, it's whether or not God would be with you wherever you go. And so God wants you to know this, so he locates himself. He, he locates himself in word and sacrament. So if you are baptized, you can know that you have received God. He's not far away, he's not just in the ether or in the sunset, he's in that font. So. 
If you're afraid, if you're guilty, touch water and remember that God has been brought near to you. You can go to the Lord's Supper and not just sort of remember God loves you from somewhere, but but rather he is here for you for the forgiveness of sins. And and in the very same way, we had a, a Jesus who was incarnate, who walked in very specific places and died in a very specific cross for you. It's not just a God who is everywhere, but it is a God who is with you and for you so that when you actually need him. The river of life isn't just sort of a, a somewhere river that was cut off from us in the beginning of Genesis, and we might one day finally get to see the close of it brought back with an alpha and omega at the very last chapter of Revelation, because we're in the in-between right now. So we have a God who puts himself in the river of life that is your baptism for you. So the, the locatedness of God in this text should point us toward not only like locating him on the last day, oh, look, there he is. I mean, we will see him on that day with our own eyes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the locatedness of God in this text should also point us toward where we can actually find him, as you said, for us today. Yeah, a, a God who is only going to be with me when I don't actually need his help anymore doesn't actually get to call himself the Savior. I Like, really, um, if you're going to be the Savior, you got to be where I am when I'm in trouble. And and that's honestly, that's not just where I'm in a world that disagrees with my politics or my behavior. That's that's not even just in a, in a world where the devil prowls about like a roaring lion. That's, that's in a world where I keep sinning. I, I myself am the one bringing about my own destruction. And so a God then has to be with me in my sin. He has to assume my sin, become my sin, and then die for my sin so that I can be free from it, so that I can give it to him so that he can take it from me and give to me his absolution. These things happen in time and space, and it matters then that we have a church that operates in time and space. Otherwise, the very best thing that we can do is get together and sort of have a nostalgia about the good old days when Jesus was around and look forward to one day things will get better, but there is no help in today. But instead, you have a God present in your church. And that matters. Like, why would you want to go to a church that your God doesn't go to? Um, but if he's there, and if he's offering pardon and forgiveness and mercy, if he's offering help and salvation, if he's offering protection and comfort and peace, well, in the midst of my troubles and my days, and, and quite frankly, my cold looks in the mirror, that's where I need to be, to where I want to be. Thinking about this, and, and I, I really appreciate the emphasis on the now and the way that God comes to us now in the river of the water of life, the promise that he has given us in baptism. Is there also an, an element in which we do see something that is to come, a gift that we don't see fully right now, even though we have it fully by faith? Is there an element in which seeing it and, and having that vision presented now gives us courage to endure the time when we can't see it. Does that make does that make sense what I'm asking there? Absolutely, because again, baptism looks boring. Like I got some water splashed on me and my pastor spoke words. Um but the thing of it is is that it has tied me to something I don't quite understand just yet. That that is not just sort of will be, but is now. Um, there, there will be a fuller vision of it yet to come. And this is why we get these, these visions of John. But again, the, the wonderful thing about trying to read them as boringly as possible is that that doesn't sort of um, make them less real or, or, or less uh, profound. It means that uh, they're more accessible. Uh, there are going to be days where I don't feel particularly baptized, uh, where, where uh, my, my struggle with sanctification is, is, is on the, the downhill slope, where I don't feel like I'm wearing the full armor of God that I could extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And so I'm given this passage so I can look, one day I will finally actually see and understand what this is all about. One day I will really actually comprehend the profound gift given to me in my baptism, but I've still got it today. 
And it's not any less effective today. It's not any less real today. It's not like a sort of baptism today, but a really baptism later. It's an all the way baptism, all the way tied to the resurrection, all the way saved today. And when I don't feel that way, for my heart, not from my heart, but for my heart from the outside in, God would give us this word. God would give us this comfort so that we can, we can imagine uh, because imagination is a good gift. It is a good gift of God that, that we, we're actually supposed to use to confront our worries and anxieties and fears uh, with the promises of God. This is a way to think about what is now in, in a way that, that ties us to the what will yet be. So what you're saying then is that if I want to have this river of life now, I don't need to journey across the ocean to the new world like the Spanish explorers looking for the fountain of youth. I can go to my local Lutheran church and dip my finger in the baptismal font and remember my baptism and I've got it. That's just it. You already have it. The, the point is trying to, to remember it. You also don't need to sort of like sit there and wait and sort of say, well, the font is, is uh, that's the weaker gift. What's going to be awesome is when I can go splashing around in the real river of life. You're already there. That's right. All right. So again, the river of life, we're going to connect that to holy baptism, the water and word that has brought us into God's kingdom, into his family right now. So that's the first thing John sees, this river of the water of life. It's as bright as crystal. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That is the source. It's going through the middle of the street of the city. And then he sees on either side of the river the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Talk to us about the tree. So the tree is a callback to, again, the, the very beginning of Genesis. You, you sort of have a closing where you opened, and, and you can sort of leave it at, at that's, that's nice poetry. But in reality, it, it's to connect, again, the, the back then with the someday with the right now. This is not a, a someday tree of life, but a, a right now tree of life. Revelation uh, 22, later on, I'm not going to steal too much from a, a guest on the road, uh, but from verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Well, we already talked about this. We we have washed our robes. We are baptized. And so right now, as surely as you are baptized today, you have a right to the tree of life today. It, it's not far gone. Um, and again, it, it's something to, to think about because uh, it, it is actually the answer not to a, a, um, a, a someday sort of just life will get better than it is, but a right now problem of shame. Uh, the last time we sort of got to deal with the trees, both the, the tree of life, but also the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it left Adam and Eve trying to use the trees to cover up their shame. Uh, they took fig leaves and they, they, they wore them for, for loincloths because of, of how ashamed they were of their bodies, how ashamed they were of their sin. They couldn't even look at each other as a married couple. Like that's the one person in the world you're actually supposed to be the most comfortable with. And they can't even gaze upon each other. They can't even be seen by each other. And so they take from the, the, the tree in, in, in the Garden of Eden, uh, we, we don't know which tree, but a, a fig leaf, and, and they sew for themselves loincloths to try and cover up their shame. And here we have a better picture. Instead of here trying to work out your own salvation, instead of here trying to earn uh, your, your honor by your works, instead of here just trying to hide your shame by, by burying it, by running from it, by blaming other people or any of the other things that we do to get around it, we are given a, a promise. Even now, you in the washed robes, you get the tree of life. And this one will not wither, and this one will not leave you empty. This one will not leave you hanging. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Here, it's no longer just to, to hide your shame, but it's to heal your shame. It's to, to forgive you those things that you have done and even grant you an identity apart from those things that were done to you. This is not far away, but it is right now. The 92nd Psalm says they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. 
this is this is where we we live now you go to church now you receive this gift now you made the connection to Genesis 1, 2, 3. I mean, they're all kind of in view here, I think, as we get to the end of the Bible. And it's not just a matter of, of good poetry, but it is a matter of, of the reality that God is giving. And I've, I've often noticed, and, and I didn't notice this for someone pointed this out to me, but you've got this garden, the river, the trees at the beginning. You've got the garden, you've got the, triver, the river, the trees at the end. And then in the middle, you also have the same, and it's it's particular, and not middle in the sense of if you let your Bible fall into the middle, but but middle in the sense of where the the story really pivots and turns in the center of the story, and it, it is really John who points this out, I think, of the four synoptic gospels that that the center does happen in a garden. That's where Jesus is crucified, and that is where he is raised, and you have a tree there. It's a cross, and you have a river that flows from his side. And he really is the gardener, as Mary mistakes him for, but really he is the gardener. I mean, that that seems like a pretty key point to all this, too, that all of this finds its center in Christ and the garden that that he won our salvation. That's beautiful. Um, that these things, again, they're, they're not supposed to leave you feeling further from Jesus, but closer to Jesus. John is not writing to a church in turmoil, to, to churches that are, are, are beset already by um, by heterodoxy and in some cases probably heresy by by gross sin with the idea that, you know, God is really far away, but one day it will get better. He, he's preaching to them in the midst of their sin and shame and, and fear and, and all of the false doctrines that would assail the church with a present Christ. And so when you get to see where all of these things connect not just to sort of a time period but to a who because it is he who joins all things to all people to all places it, it is he who is the alpha and omega we find all of these things in jesus that that's that's beautiful hmm. now thinking of some of the descriptions that john gives of this tree of life here there are 12 kinds of fruit and there's fruit each month again the fact that you know when you think about trees in this life that you know i don't know apples come into season in the in the fall peaches a different time they're different fruit come in different seasons this is a tree that has fruit all the time i think that that lends again to what you're saying about the not only the the not yet that which is to come but the fact that this is something that god gives now he gives fruit from the tree of life for us to eat now as you reference that the verse coming up later in this chapter Talk to us about that that ongoing, that enduring nature of the fruit of this tree. Right, that there is never a day where you will not be able to receive the good gifts of God, and and that's that's precious. Uh, Christians have different languages throughout different times and spaces. Right now, for some reason, uh, the the church militant, uh, at least in wider Christendom, is is all about talking about seasons. Uh, there are seasons of joy and and seasons of um, less joy. Um, there are seasons where there are apples on the tree and and seasons where the leaves are bare. Uh, and this again, it's it's proof that. This is a, not a word that is pigeonholed just for some people someday, but it, it's for all of us. Uh, for, for those of us that get kind of caught up in, in talking about the seasons, uh, we, we get to recognize, you, you're right, today I might go outside and it, it might be the dead of winter and, and there might it might look cold and barren. And the best I can think of is back when there used to be apples and maybe one day there will be again. Uh, but the promise that we are given is if we are united to the tree of life, that is the cross where Christ has died for us, where from his side has flowed the river of life along with the blood that, that came from his pierced side. There we, we are with a, a gift that does come every day in abundance, that, that is for you all the time. Uh, it, it will feel in this day and age like there are different seasons. But when 
when that last great day comes, when there is day without night, when when there is uh, when when there is eternity uh, at peace with our Lord, we we will finally actually again perceive what we already have right now. Uh, the the sort of frustration with talking about the seasons. And, and I say this as somebody who, who lives in Iowa, we, we get really caught up in it. Actually, I love it. I, I used to live in Texas and it was just like one and a half seasons all the time. And a lot of people like that, but I like something fresh to complain about every few months. Um, <laughs> in the in, in the Midwest, we have the seasons that dry on long enough that you hate them. So I, at the beginning of summer, it's amazing. But by the end of summer, I just can't wait for fall. At the end of fall, I'm ready for snow. At the end, at the end of snow, I'm ready for anything. And we, we get so marked up in the just right now that that we have a, a tree that that in all 12 months yields a new fruit um I, I don't know if i want to get too lost in the weeds with it either but like it, it also i wonder if it doesn't sort of speak to just I, I remember a time when israel got really bored with the food and um they they, they got so frustrated about eating the same gifts of god every day that sustain them um that that it is the same source and the same good giver but but even here at last there will be a place that is free from boredom a place that is free from from discontent um and and what a joy, um, because I, I recognize that the problem has never been with God, but with me. But at the same time, he is uh, so abundant in his mercy that he not only allows there to be beauty, but he allows there to be variety. Uh, he, he could save us and just sort of say it's all going to be drab. Like, guys, just can't wait for your beige robes and your, your beige cloudy day. But instead, the language that he gives us is actually that of beauty uh, as well as goodness and truth. Um, and, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, and rightly so. I, I I like the connection to the the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, this is not the wilderness, but the fact that yeah, God's going to feed us here. He twelve different fruits, but fruit each month. Well, I'm gonna get bored. I want I want number thirteen. No, no, you won't, because you're being fed by the one who who gives and the one who loves and the one that you love now perfectly, having been set free from all sin. What a what a glorious picture here of of the eternity. We're gonna keep looking at this on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Harrison Goodman this morning about Revelation chapter 22. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, June 29th. We're studying Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. He is the content executive for the Lutheran Youth Organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we were talking about eating fruit from the tree of life. As John describes it, 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. We will never grow bored eating this fruit, this beautiful gift of God. When it came to the river of the water of life, we tried to read this as boring as possible. As you said, we go to our holy to baptism, the gift that God has given, there we have partaken of this river. What about eating from the tree of life? Is there a very simple, boring way to understand this as it comes to us today? 
boring is better. You, you get it in communion. Um, it, it here you are, are fed with the, the fruit of the tree of life that is the cross. Here you you uh, you take the chalice up to the, the side of Christ, you catch the blood, and you drink it. Here uh, we we have uh, again something that. I have actually heard criticized as if we have it too often, it won't be special to us anymore. We'll get bored of it. Um, and, and here we have a gift that continues to give good gifts, that, that continues to pour out abundance of mercy, forgiveness, life, and salvation. Here we have uh, a meal that, that is given to us often. And, and it's because we need it often for our, our sustenance. Here we have a, a gift that uh, whether or not we, we are uh, properly appreciative of it is for you, for the forgiveness of sins. And again, the, the, the gift of, uh, of this text is that it helps us see more in communion, not more in, in, in a resurrection someday far off, but right now, right now we gather with, well, those who are waiting for us in heaven. With the, for the same resurrection, we, we, we commune with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven praising and acknowledging God, uh, that the altar would go on far beyond what we can see to, to those who are wearing white and not beige robes, where we eat and drink the body of, of the lamb, uh, that, that we would be joined to them in the victory that has no end, uh, even as we are joined to our risen Lord. And it, it's important to sort of think about this imagery because you get to acknowledge how it looks and you also get to acknowledge how it tastes. I, I remember um, I was uh, I, I was catechizing a, a, a wonderful young gal um, who, who uh, had has autism. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to talk with her because she would always say exactly what was on her mind. Um, and it was after First Communion and she came up to me and she goes, Pastor, this is the body and blood of Jesus, right? I know it. The Bible says so. And I said, yeah, it's the body and blood of Jesus. And she looks at me and she goes, so why does it taste so bad? Um, and it, it, it was precious to me. Um, and I, I said, there's, there's probably something we can learn uh, from that. But right now, I, I understand what it is to, to eat and drink of the body and blood of Jesus and still walk away because of old Adam, frustrated, a little bit disappointed. Because not only do I, I well, taste the cheapest wine that we can buy in jugs, um, but I go back in the pew and I fall right back into sin. Um, but the gift given is still the gift given. In, in, in that chalice is the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all my sins and that strengthens me to endure this life and all the way into that last great day when I, I will fully see the thing that already is now, that, that, that I have been given to eat of the tree of life. So every time we, we approach the altar and we receive into our mouths the very body and blood of Jesus, we should picture ourselves approaching the tree of life and being handed of its fruit to eat and so receive life. And even, you know, I, I, you already talked a little bit about the leaves of the tree here, how they are for the healing of the nations as opposed to the leaves that covered uh, they attempted to cover their shame with. I, I suppose we could connect that then to, to the holy absolution, that there Christ covers all of our shame. Right. The, the, the precious thing about this is that we, we, we try and use God's word as a cloak for shame, says the large catechism, when the irony of ironies is God's word is supposed to be a cloak for shame. Um, it, it is supposed to cover us in, in a way that is pure and leaves, uh, leaves us so that we would only look in the mirror and see Jesus who forgives us, so that we would only look at each other and see Jesus, because we know that when God looks at us, he only sees Jesus. The, the absolution is, is for healing. The precious word of God that is given, uh, it, it is that which, which actually removes your sin, that, that takes away from you the things that you are trying to hide. And here, this is, this is a healing because there, there's one thing to try and hide your wounds, but there is another to have them healed. You can try and hide your wounds. In fact, again, like I, I, you, you served long enough to, to sort of watch the people who they try to hide their illness. They pretend they're not coughing 
they, they pretend that there's nothing wrong. You can hide from it, but it's it's still there. And so what we need, what we need is precious healing. And God gives us an abundance that, that it's not simply ours to try and protect from uh, a shame, protect from each other's worry, but, but we take it to Christ and recognize that he offers a healing that lasts everlasting. Yeah, yeah, which we receive now in the absolution, and then on the last day, that absolution is made complete when the when the body is raised. I recall how how Jesus tells John the the Baptist about who he is, and he he lists all those things that he's doing, and it seems to reach a climax when he says he's raising the dead. But then he's got one more thing to add: the poor have good news preached to them, and and here you see the result of that preaching of the good news to the poor. It is the the removal, the healing of all that sin and shame to the point that we are raised immortal, incorruptible on the last day and enjoy all of this and see it fully, even as we have it now by faith. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in verse 3 then, John has now seen both the river of the water of life, the tree of life, and he goes on to describe what then life is like. He says in verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Talk to us about this verse. Yeah, I think imp- the, the important word here is accursed, uh, because, well, there has to be then a one giving the curse. The, there will no longer be anything that, that, God would, that, that God would condemn, that God would see damned. Um, here we have a, a world then that is, is free from sin. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14 says, it shall be inhabited, there shall be never again a decree of utter destruction. There is a speaker of destruction. Jerusalem dwells in security because God will no longer condemn us in our sin. He has taken away our sin, and with that has come with our death. Where there is no more sin, there can be no more death. Uh, in this, uh, this, this uh, place that we will inhabit on that last great day, we will live in a world that is free from sin and free from death. And that's that's a precious, precious thing, uh, because it, it's not just that like we will live in a world without natural disaster and where there'll be like unlimited ice cream and you won't get fat. Um, what we have right now is is a world where we are no longer the problem and we don't need to fear God. This is actually the thing that we don't like to talk about a whole lot, but God is righteous in his condemnation of evil. Sin breaks stuff, and God is actually allowed to love you so much that if anybody comes along to try and hurt you and kill you, he's allowed to be upset about it. God is allowed to have wrath over sin, and in fact, it is good and just that he do it. We just hate that because we're so full of sin that we understand that that has some splash damage, uh, that, that that's coming right at us. And so to look to this last great day when there will no longer be in it anything that is accursed, but I will be in it. That means that I will somehow so be, be so free from sin that I cannot die, and I will be so free from sin that I cannot be condemned even though I stand before the throne and before the Lamb in his kingdom. There will be no more death and no more sin, and it, it almost leaves it, uh, us with a picture that's hard to conceive of because, well, we're trying to paint a picture only with negatives here. Like, what would I be like with no sin? It's, it's actually hard to explain. I'm so good at sin in that it is, it is so infected me. It is so tainted. It is not that I am sin by my very nature, but it is so thoroughly corrupted me that it's, it's just hard to imagine me without it anymore. Uh, what would it be like uh, to, to not die? Here we actually get to, to reflect, though. Um, if there is nothing accursed, that's not just sort of, again, a future one day for us. But there's a picture of it right now, and it's not far off. It, it is still, what's our Sunday school answer? The, the one who is, is uh, well, not worthy to be accursed is, is Jesus. 
we can see what a life free from sin looks like. It looks like Jesus. We can see in the incarnation what a life free from sin would look like. It's Jesus. Now, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was accursed for us. He was hung upon the tree to die for us. But we can look upon his earthly life where he has fulfilled the law for us in our stead as just as valuable. In fact, both had to happen, both his fulfilling of the law in our stead and his dying in our stead. Both of these things truly matter for our salvation. Uh, and, and so to, to look at, at this and see not only a picture of what this life will look like, uh, we, we get to see again that, that it, it's not so far off that that we can't have it um it's just it's just far away um it, it's 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 not common even if it's how things are supposed to be um the confessions are, are kind of good with this too um they, they speak about things as norming uh that, that the confessions are our norming book the scriptures norm us that they are they make us normal and then you get to recognize there's a difference between what's common and what's normal we talk about them as if they're synonymous, but they're not. Um, we, we talk about normal as just how, it, how it's supposed to be and that it's everywhere. And so I, I'm not normal because I'm kind of a weird guy. Um, but then you get to recognize common is the thing that you see everywhere. Normal is how it's supposed to be. The scriptures norm us, that, that salvation is how it's supposed to be, uh, that, that the, the fulfilling of the law is how it's supposed to be. And I can look around and I can say sin is very common, but sin is not normal. Death is altogether too common, but death is not normal. And so I'm going to look at the person of Jesus, that, that the life that he lived as a recognition that there, even if it's not common yet, that's how it's supposed to be. And then I can look to his resurrection and I can say, that's how it is for me now because I am baptized. I can look around and say there, there are altogether too many things that I wish weren't common. There is suffering, there is evil, there is lack, there is want, there is sin. But what is normal that reigns. And it's, it's, it's a present God who is there to, to dwell with sinners. God does not stand back and he does not draw near to condemn, but he draws near to save. And this, this verse points to us that, that um, when, we, when we dwell with God finally at the last day, we will be so free from sin that there won't be anything left to curse because the words, it is finished, were actually true. Yeah, I like that distinction that you draw between common and normal. And I appreciate the way that you bring out not only the the negative aspect that there is no sin, there's nothing accursed, but there is a positive thing that we can see. Because I, I think, you know, like you said, we know sin so well, and we are so good at it right now, that to imagine a life without sin seems impossible. Like, okay, John, if you're telling me there's not going to be anything accursed, and I'm not going to be sinning, well, then what am I going to be doing? Because that seems like that's all that I ever see. So to, to see the positive picture, then, of Christ, and and recognize that as a picture of what this is like, I think is really helpful because then it, it is it does make eternity not just a place, as we've said before, of just kind of sitting around on clouds, but of actual living, of, of real living. And and Luther, he he hints at this in his in his small catechism. It's in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. And it always kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit, especially when I teach it, but I think this helps. It's where at the end where he's talking about, you know, when God's kingdom comes and he says that that we pray this so that by his grace we would believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time but then he adds and there in eternity and i think that that positive picture of what you're talking about that we see this in christ that's that's kind of what luther's getting at there when he talks about leading a godly life there in eternity we're not just going to be sitting around doing nothing but we're actually going to be living for real for the first time yeah absolutely and and it's a thing that that's worth sort of dwelling on because uh, i i i am I don't know if I'm happy, but I'm comforted in the fact that uh, I wasn't the only one to sort of struggle with this. But when I was a baby Christian and they were teaching me about uh, all this resurrection stuff, I was like, now, 
I wish the last day wouldn't come too soon because I got some plans first. Like, I, I hope <laughs> Jesus doesn't show up before I get married. I hope Jesus doesn't right. show up before I accomplish my goals. Um, and, and like, you look at yourself and you're like, really? And and I've heard the same thing from confirmands, from children and from adults um, that like, all right, that that's cool, but I want to do more than just go to church all the time. Um, and to, to sort of recognize that there is a, a life for us to, to finally live. Um, it, it's It's really only speaks to the depth of our bondage into sin and slavery uh, of death that that we can't even conceive of what it would be like that that we think something's being taken away from us if all we get to do is live free from sin with God in eternity where we will have our, our lives and and uh, the, the fullness therein yeah yeah and and again we do pray for this now in time too and we do receive this mm-hmm. now in time as, as you've been emphasizing all along these are gifts of God that come to us now in the church through faith. We receive them now, even as we await the consummation on the last day. So they are also going, I don't know if we talked about this part yet of verse 3, his servants will worship him. Talk about that. Right. So uh, again, worship is a word where God is is nearby for. Um, if, well, if we are worshiping God, that means he is he is near. His servants will worship him. Well, like, do we honestly worship a God who is farther away than they do on the last day? He is sitting on your altar in bread and wine. It is his body and blood. God is not far off so that you can, like, pray to him up in heaven so that he'll drop to you down a care package. To to go to church now, to worship God now, is to be in, in his very presence. And what, what a gift to, to sort of recognize that, again— God does not stand back. It's it's one of the, the deep down fears that I wrestle with altogether too often because you look around and you're like, God would not let the world look like this. Um, and and I'm convinced that he should just sort of come with fire and lightning for everyone that's not me uh, for, for their sin. Um, but I have a God who actually draws near to me in my sin to forgive it. I, I get to worship a present God in, in, in word and sacrament. And I can look at it and recognize that it's beautifully, wonderfully boring. And that's that's such a treasure because it doesn't take away the value from it. It just means that I, I actually I am so comforted by God that I get to not worry about that. I, I actually get to to have one thing to to take to heart his his uh, command don't worry uh, with a recognition that it's, it's it's something that he's already working for me. He's he is near to forgive to comfort to save. As John moves into verse four, he says they these, the saints, they will, his servants, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Talk about the comfort of this verse. Right. Um, this is, this is a, a, uh, again, a callback to the very beginning of Genesis, uh, where over and over again, you had people in sin hiding their face from God. Uh, you have Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. You have uh, Cain whose face falls. Uh, this is sort of a, a recognition of when I can't even stand to meet you in the eye. I I, uh, I, I can't even look at you. I'm going to look at your shoes. I'm going to look at your shirt. I'm going to look at anything in the world because I just, I can't stand to meet your eye. When our face falls, when we can't look up to meet the eye of God, it's because we're so wrapped up in the things that have gone wrong inside of ourselves, in our sin, in our death, in our guilt, in our shame, that... Uh, we need to be called out of that. Um, but we have a God who draws near to these sinners, who, who drew near to Adam and Eve, who even drew near to Cain and, and put a mark upon him, uh, not to condemn, but, but to, to grant a, a safekeeping that he would hear the word of God, that, that he would repent and, and, and be saved, that he would come to faith. Uh, we have this again in church today for you, where you have the uh, ironic uh, benediction, uh, the Lord lift up his face upon you. Uh, we have a God who is not far away, but but a God who, who draws near uh, to forgive us in such a way that we can meet his eye, that, that we can look upon him and find comfort and not just 
something else to feel guilty about. Uh, it, it's something that, that we, we struggle to see. I recognize this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. But the thing is, uh, you can see in a mirror dimly, but that doesn't make what's on the other side of it less real. Uh, just because you have to squint doesn't mean that uh, it's, it's sort of hazy. Uh, in reality, it, it means that you're having trouble seeing it. Um, so that also will shape the rest of that chapter, by the way. If you're reading 1 Corinthians and it doesn't quite make sense in chapter 13, go ahead and replace the word Jesus with the word love. And again, you can find a very near comfort, a, a, a comfort that's not rooted in you trying to be a better Christian or a better spouse because it's always tied to marriage, uh, but, but rather a God who always, always, always seeks us out in our guilt and shame, meets our eye because he forgives us and actually grants us the comfort and joy to do the same. Um, you get to see little glimpses of it throughout the scriptures too. And, and I mean, we can... We can all of us sort of imagine and remember a time in our life where the absolution actually mattered enough that we felt better afterwards. But you get pictures, um, Thomas in in uh, in his obstinate saying, I, I, I refuse to believe this resurrection unless I can boop the Lord, unless I can put my finger in there and, and poke at it, I, I will never believe. And Jesus, Jesus shows up, um, not actually to, to rub his nose in the dirt, but to, to say the words that he really needs to hear peace be with you. And Thomas's expression, it's its actually one to be really happy to see God. My Lord and my God, he, he, he proclaims in joy. Um, it, it's wonderful that God would show up to forgive sinners because he takes away our sin and he leaves us only with a chance to actually see him. And again, this is not something that, that is far off. You, you actually sing about this in church. Uh, we, we sing this after communion. We sing the Nuc Dimittis, my eyes have seen his salvation. And we sing that at a very specific time in the divine service on purpose. There was a time when the peace of the Lord was held up in a chalice and a, and a host that you could look upon it. You get to look at the body and blood of Jesus and say, this is my salvation. I'm going to eat it and drink it. It's going to forgive my sins and save me. God is not far away but he is very, very near. Uh, so that in all of these things, um, we get to recognize that even if uh, we don't fully see, he still fully is. The, the rejoining of, of the eyes of, of the body, um, with, excuse me, the, the rejoining of the eyes of the body with the, the eyes of faith are, are, is something we can very much look forward to. Um, and, and so we, we can talk about, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I see dimly in the mirror, but at the same time, by faith, I, I, I see in that chalice the blood of Christ. By faith, I see in that font the river of life. Now there's a disconnect between the eyes of the body and the eyes of faith. I look forward to the fact uh, to the time when those things will be joined back together. But even right now, he gives us words so that we would be reminded. In the same way that you you can you can tell a blind person there's a chair right there, don't walk into it, uh, and, and they're grateful for it. Just because they can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. But the words that that speak reality to us are precious, especially when the reality is such good news. Job looked forward to that day too for his mm -hmm. eyes when his when his eyes would behold God and not another eyes. He talks about that in Job chapter nineteen and the I know that my redeemer lives passage. That's what he he expresses that same faith. John is seeing it realized here. What about the the matter of the name being on the foreheads? That's something we've seen elsewhere in Revelation. 
Right. It, it, it shows up lots of places. And again, you can sort of get lost in the imagery. Um, but the, the thing that, that stood out to me was uh, that this, again, was a, a mark that you receive on your forehead and your heart, the sign of the cross from him who was crucified in the rite of our baptism, uh, that, that the pastor would actually hold the child and say, receive the, the mark of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one who has been redeemed by Christ the crucified. Uh, that, that this isn't, um, a, again, sort of a, a mark of secret or strange symbols or, or anything of the such, but it, it's, it's the idea that the word of God would dwell uh, as a front that before our eyes, that, uh, that the, the promises that God makes to us are something that, that, uh, that they're, they're with us. They, they, they guide our thoughts, they guide our meditations, and they guide our heart. Now, in the last verse, John says that night will be no more. We heard about no, no more night in the previous chapter, and the, also the, there's no light, there's no lamp, there's no sun, because God's going to be their light. Talk about the matter of night and light and all that in the ver first five. Right. Again, we can sort of talk about this in a, a, a one day, it, there won't be darkness kind of thing. But uh, again, I, I, I think that these these visions, they're, they're not to make the things seem farther away, but but to paint a clearer picture of the things that are brought near. And so the, the 119th Psalm says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That in, in a world that altogether feels too dark and lost, we're given the word of God. Uh, we're given a, a, a light that, that doesn't actually get put out. And, and in fact, simply the reality that there is darkness, it only makes the light matter more. I want the lamp when it seems like it's dark outside. And there will be a last great day when there is no more darkness. And I finally understand, and I don't need to, uh, the, the light to keep me from jumping off the path or even pulling me back on it after I do. But, but rather, I have the actual word of God made flesh that is Jesus, who is preached to me. And here you actually get to recognize that this light endures in the darkness. The darkness shall not overcome it. This was how John begins his gospel. Um, that uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. And that light is preached to us uh, in John chapter 5. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. That wherever Jesus is, wherever Jesus is preached, that light endures now. Um, it, it makes sort of the, the recognition that we live in the dark and latter days uh, a lot easier to bear because we're not just sort of looking forward, but but we're we're given the comfort that even in days that, that get as dark as these, God brings light to us. Uh, it, it, it lets us deal with the end time text just as well. So you, you can have, you know, a, a under um, all of the Gospels, uh, sort of touch on it in some way or another. But Matthew, for example, would say in chapter 24, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And it sounds kind of ominous until you remember that you have Jesus, you have the light, there you're ready. Come, Lord Jesus. In fact, we can even start to pray for it. I'm not afraid of you catching me and doing anything wrong. You've already forgiven me. I, I, I'm going to struggle to do good and, and strive to, to live inside of the law that he has given me. But I just want you to show up because the sooner you get here, the better it will be. You are my light and my salvation. Um, and, and when we get to talk about it, then uh, we get to talk about it in the present tense and not just the future tense. Romans chapter 13 says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Uh, Paul speaks about this thing uh, in the opposite way that we tend to want to. Uh, we, we sort of say, well, we are the light, we are, we are the Christians, and one day the world will be as light as us. But in, in reality, Paul flips the whole thing on his head, and he says, no, you guys, you have, you have it backwards. The night is already over. Christ has been crucified. The darkness was when he was bearing the cross. It is the light of Easter right now. The light is at hand. Therefore, stop sinning. 
put on the armor of God. Take, take, up, uh, take up the good gifts that he has given you and, and find comfort in them because you are not in darkness, brothers. Again, he would say in uh, 1 Thessalonians, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. This speaks to our identity that, uh, yes, there will be a last great day um, when their night will be no more, uh, when we will need no light of lamp or sun. But even today, the Lord our God is our light. Even today, his word is a, a light to my uh, path. Even today, I am of the light. I belong to the light. Even today, the, 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 that, that light is at hand. It is not far off, but it's here. John concludes this section by saying they, that is the servants, they will reign forever and ever. We've got about two minutes here, Pastor Goodman. Tell us what that, that means and help us to wrap things up this morning. They will reign forever and ever. Uh, that there's uh, this, this thing that is time that we have, and, and God created time uh, before he created us. And so the idea of, of a, a, well, an existence without time is something that kind of wrinkles our brain a little bit. We can't really get our heads around it. Uh, and so instead, we go this uh, to Jesus. Uh, we, we take this to, to him who reigns on high, uh, who sits at the right hand of the Father, and we will reign with him. And so time is absorbed back into Christ who has given it to us. Um, all we get to know then is the things that we have, they can't be broken. The, the forever and ever isn't just that it, it'll never, ever, ever break, uh, but it, it's a recognition that the gifts that we have, they are enough to hold now. Um, if if it's, it, that we will reign forever and ever, that means they can't be taken from us. That, that means that we, um, despite ourselves, despite the world, despite the devil, despite even death itself, we are even now a part of this light and this victory. And so none of these things can be robbed from us. We are already a part of the victory. And so we get caught up in time because when, when things are bad, time just stretches out. When we hurt, time just seems to go on for eternity. And, and when we blink, it all goes away. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what we have is, is a, an Alpha and Omega, a Jesus who has conquered uh, sin and death, who, uh, who is, is uh, Lord of all, even time itself. And what he has given to us isn't simply an eternity, but a, a, an eternity with him, a victory with him over all that is evil and dark and awful, even, even our own sin. And so the great gift that we have uh, in this text as we, we kind of close down is actually, uh, well, it's, it's, simply, it's simply Jesus. And that's the thing that we can reflect on even today. Pastor Harrison Goodman is the content executive for the Lutheran Youth Organization Higher Things. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. It was a privilege. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. John sees the river of the water of life. He sees the tree of life. He sees that day when there will no longer be anything accursed. But these gifts are not far off. God has brought them very near. They come to you in holy baptism, in holy communion, in the holy absolution, and the word that is preached and proclaimed to you, you have this reality now by faith, even as we wait for that day when we will see it with our own eyes. If you have any questions about Revelation chapter 22, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk again tomorrow.